forward slash the Ray Hanania show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And good afternoon, everybody. It is April 13, 2022, and I'm Ray Hanania. Our topic today, the different Easter's challenges facing Christian Arabs. And toward the end of the show, we have a guest that's going to talk about traditional Arab recipes for Easter. Um, we're broadcasting live here at uh, WNZK AM 690 Radio in Greater Detroit, WDMV AM 700 Radio in Washington, D.C., WTOR AM 770 Radio in Upper New York and Ontario, Canada. And our show will be rebroadcast if you're in Chicago on Thursday at 12 noon on WNWI AM 1080. You'll be able to hear this show. You can also listen to the radio show live online at the U.S. Arab Radio Network at ArabRadio.us. And of course, we're broadcasting live on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arab News. Easter is celebrated twice every year. And if you're a mainstream Christian, you celebrate this Sunday, April 17th. But many Orthodox Christians celebrate Easter the week of April 24, on Sunday, April 24. It's also a good time to talk about the challenges facing Christian Arabs in many societies and in politics. Christian Arabs are seen as ghosts who don't belong. Sometimes they're rejected by both the mainstream Christians and non-Christians because they're Arab. I remember one time after September 11, 2001, after giving a speech on the need to look past stereotypes to fight extremism, an American woman came up to me and said, I can't believe you abandoned your Christian faith to become an Arab. Now, I just, I, I didn't know what to say. I was like in total shock. So I decided to enter stand-up comedy and uh, I didn't realize how combative that was um, when I got into the stand-up comedy. By the way, Ramadan Mubarak to the Muslim community here in America and across the Arab world. And happy Passover to the Jewish community, which uh, begins uh, April 16th. And of course, happy Easter to traditional Christians and next week to Orthodox Christians. Our first guest uh, today is Catherine Kalaitis. She is a resident scholar at the National Hellenic Museum of Chicago, an expert on Orthodox Christians. So, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I have to apologize. I'm in a hotel room in Paris, so the lighting is a little bit well, less I, than ideal. I have to apologize. I'm not in Paris. Believe me, that's where <laughs> I'd rather be. I'm sitting in Chicago. But, you know, the technology is great, of course, oh, it's, right? It's incredible. Yeah, no, yeah absolutely. The only bad part is that I'm doing like 50 different things still, no matter to get everything right. Put us on Facebook, record it, make sure all the guests get all the connections with the support of some great producers who are all doing the same things with me. So but yeah. listen, uh, Orthodox, you can't you with the Hellenic Museum. Obviously, we're talking about Orthodox Christians, correct? Yeah. Do all the Orthodox celebrate? I know there's confusion. Yeah. I, I don't know which Orthodox Christians support which Easter or celebrate which Easter? Uh, help us understand, would you? Yeah, so I think first that you need to make the distinction between Eastern Christians who okay. can be both Orthodox and Catholic, and then also within Orthodoxy. So 
Um, within orthodoxy, you have sort of these ethnic churches, um, national churches for a host. Of, Is that like the, we've been hearing about the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian exactly. Orthodox Church. So you're, those so, are the Eastern Orthodox churches, right? So they're all Eastern Christians. Okay. And within the sort of, and that is just about people who were um, sort of on the Eastern half of the Roman Empire. Right. That's all that means. And they tend to celebrate liturgical rites that initially came out of Constantinople, out of the city of Istanbul. I'm Greek. I say Constantinople. I know yes, the sir. crowd. I'm going to try to say Istanbul. Um, That's okay. People have been <laughs> fighting over that, those two names for a long time. It's all right. I think most people understand by now. So um, some of those Eastern Christians, um, for example, about um, 7% of the, of the Eastern Christians in Ukraine are in communion, which means that they're part of the same, you know, they're, they're aligned with the Pope, the Bishop of Rome. And that would be the, the mainstream Easter this Sunday. Yes. So they're going to celebrate on Western Easter Got this it. Sunday. The others are part of the Christian community that in the 11th century broke communion with Rome. Um, something important to remember is that there are traditionally five Christian patriarchates, five um, ancient Christian bishops. They're in Rome, Constantinople, Jerusalem, Antioch, and Alexandria. So when that break happened, which we call the Great Schism in 1054, four of those bishops stayed in the East and the Bishop of Rome went on his own way. So that's an important thing to remember. Part of the controversy was over if everyone has to listen to the Pope. Um, no wonder the Arabs in America are so confused, okay? I, not so just are, Arabs, right? Greeks too. You're Greek uh, American, yeah. correct? So there, there are Greek Catholics, there are Ukrainian Catholics, there are Arab Catholics. If we had had it our way, Greece would be Arab, but you know, it didn't I, I, work you out. You tried. We tried. <laughs> We tried. It there didn't work out, but it's so confusing. Oh. You know, no wonder. Uh, is it really that confusing or is it uh, is there a simple way to, you know, just it's either one or the other. Think, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the way to think about it is that Christianity is divided cult, like really liturgically, yes. like in terms of how people celebrate liturgy between East and West. And then when you get in, people are under different bishops. And that's right. how I tell people to think about it. There's and there's these bishops have been competing with each other since Constantine. Right. So and there's a lot of um, you know, there's some Catholics in the Arab Catholics who have been Catholic the whole time, who never broke communion with Rome. The Maronites. Back, the Maronites. The, the Maronites, the Le mostly majority uh, Lebanese yeah. uh, Arabs. And they've been Catholic the whole time. You have others that have um, that come back to the Catholic Church. Um, essentially in response to the Crusades and also to the fall of Constantinople to the Ottomans, largely other things happen. Um, so you, you have those two. Now, historically, right, so for most of the time, well, originally, so originally Christians are, when you talk about Easter, Christians are calculating Easter as the first Sunday after Passover. So the ancient pre-Constantinian church, that's what they're doing, right? I got it. Well, and, the Jewish and, count, well, and, and I'm sorry, just so to point out to people, Passover begins April 16th and goes for, I think, seven days or eight days. So the next uh, Sunday would then be the the Orthodox Easter. And I, I just generalize it as Orthodox Easter, but yeah. not all all Orthodox. Uh, all celebrate Orthodox do celebrate on that Easter. 
all orthodox christians do but all orthodox do we'll talk about why that is in a second actually if you're interested so um the the now this has led to a a false rumor among orthodox people when people ask us why do you celebrate your easter then we say we have to wait till passover is over right that's not true (laughs) all right (laughs) there's something people just teach you to say um, and I'm sure I'm sure in the in um, other religious communities, there's the same thing. There's kind of folk traditions that grow up. Um, so at the Council of Nicaea, which is the first council of Christian bishops, they decide that Easter is going to be the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. What happens is that in the late Middle Ages, the Western church, the Western cultural zone, right? The Western Europe realizes the calendar they're using is wrong, basically. And they reform the, because, and if you keep going, like Easter's going to end up in October, you know? And so they reform the calendar. And that's why in the West, we're on something like the calendar, like today is April 13th, 13th. based on the Julie, on the Gregorian calendar, St. Gregory. The new, the new calendar. The new calendar. The Julian exactly. one would have been with the Romans and the Gregorian well, we calendar. The old calendar. The old calendar. We should so just say you, that old and new and just get rid of those funny words because. Exactly. Just, <laughs> so the, the old calendar um, over the course of the modern period, really from the 16th century on, um, there's a debate in Orthodox churches about whether or not to switch to the new calendar. Um, some churches do the Greek church I grew up in Greek Orthodox Christians, um, the GOA, the largest Greek, um, jurisdiction in America were on the new calendar, right? Except, so this was the compromise, ready? Everybody switch. You can switch to the new calendar. You can stay on the old calendar up to you, but let's all celebrate Easter together. So as a show of unity. So that means, does that impact like Christmas? Because Christmas is also the same thing, but do they keep Christmas separate then when you say let's all do it for Easter? It's just Easter, but in a lot of communities um, and in a lot of families, they still celebrate old Christmas. Okay. Um, so in my, in my church, December 25th is Christmas. In my family, um, we still celebrated the the sixth and seventh of January. January. Right. Yeah. Um, it's just like a, as a family thing. This is because this this switch to the new calendar has been fairly recent, right? Yeah. And so there's still customs associated with that. But the reason they're calculated separately is the calendar difference, and also the Orthodox are using um, astronomical calculations to calculate the spring equinox um, that are not accurate. We're using these old calculations. So that's why Easter, that's why Easter is different. Yeah, I know. And of course, when we talk about the differences uh, in religious holidays, people automatically think of the Islamic religion because Mm -hmm. they're based on the cycles of the moon and rather than on the new calendar. So they're still going kind of like by the old calendar, I guess, but mostly because of the moon. So it changes every year, but it's always it, it seems all the Muslims are together. They all, for example, we're in the middle of Ramadan. And again, Ramadan Mubarak, all our Muslim listeners, um, they're all together. Christians, though, it's so confusing because we when we talk about Muslims, it's 
like one group. When we talk about Jews, we think of one group, although there are several. There are two Muslim groups and several uh, uh, Jewish groups. Uh, but the Christians, we have many, many different Christian groups, don't we? Yeah, and, and I mean, I think, go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say no, that that but, adds to the confusion, I think. And one of the things that's happening in the Orthodox world is the calendar has become a huge point of contention. Yeah. So you have groups that break away over the calendar. There's groups called old calendarist groups that they're, you know, their, their point of contention, their initial point of contention is you changed the calendar. You're not allowed to do that. Um for, for they're they're wrong about what the Council of Nicaea said, in my opinion. But um, and so I think part of what what that's about. There's a couple things. Is that you have a sort of history in Christianity very early on. Um, that's sort of in some ways um, egged on by the Roman emperors because they're trying to create unification of these of theological debates an ecclesiological debate turning into schism. Right. Division. So it comes very, very quickly. Um, you know, Christianity liturgically is centered around the Eucharist. And very early in Christianity, it becomes the practice that if you don't agree with someone on somewhat, something, you stop celebrating the Eucharist with them. Wow. And so I think that practice leads to, to schism, right? It leads to these breaks. Um, we tend to think of, you know, the, the reality is that bishops excommunicating each other for most of history had very little effect on people. So um, the Great Schism happens in 1054. Constantinople and Rome excommunicate each other. We know from the Norse sagas, for example, people continued to take communion, like regular people continued to take communion in each other's Because the faith was bigger than the church. The faith is almost sometimes bigger than the church. Yeah, and I think the, inst I mean, part of what the institutional apparatus of Christianity is much more present in many ways than in um, Islam or in Judaism, right? The sort of institutional high, and Christians are obsessed with lines of authority right. and who has the authority. Like a bureaucracy almost. <laughs> It's a very huge bureaucracy, right? Yeah, and part of that is the, the Constantinian marriage between the church and the state. So it takes on the apparatuses of the Roman state. Um, so I think that lends itself more to schism, right? It let, If you have all these sort of, I'm the person in charge of this, and no, I'm the person in charge of that, it lends itself to that kind of schism. And then let's go back to the basics. I mean, uh, yeah. Easter, what does it symbolize to Christians? And I, I know most people know, but it doesn't hurt to just repeat it for some people. What, what is the importance of Easter to Christians? Yeah, so the, the word for Easter in most languages is derived from the word for Passover, um, Pesach. Um, in Greek, we call it Pascha. Um, and Easter is the feast of feasts, right? It's the central feast of Christianity. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ, the empty tomb. And arguably, if there is no empty tomb, there is no Christianity, right? right. Um, Nadia Boltz Weber, who's a Lutheran minister in Denver, likes to say Christianity has been sold as a sin management program, but it's actually a death mitigation program. So... <laughs> 
The central conceit of Christianity is that God was incarnate in the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth was God and that he was crucified by the Roman authorities. But because he was God, obviously, he destroyed hell um, and rose from the dead. And through his death, and we can all participate in that resurrection. Death has been defeated is the um, central message of Christianity, believe it or not, based on, you wouldn't know that listening to televangelists. Now, that I, is the central I know when I grew up, I went to uh, uh, Greek Orthodox churches as a young child in the 50s. Um, but then they realized it was too far to drive. So they ended up putting me in a Lutheran church, a mainstream Christian church, yeah. uh, where I was confirmed, even though my parents were Orthodox Christian. And uh, we would still go to the Orthodox Church, which was St. George Orthodox, Greek Orthodox Church. They had the word Greek in it. Um, And then we'd celebrate Easter twice, the first Easter with our neighbors. And then the following week, we'd celebrate Easter with the Arab community. The nice part about celebrating Easter with the Arab community was I could go to the store and buy the peeps and the marshmallows and the candy at 70% off because they were all on sale. I, that's why so I we, tell people we have a different Easter's for the sale. We're talking Greeks, Arabs, the Russians. Yeah. These are not cheap. people who pay full price. No, we won't. We don't want, we want that cheap <laughs> sale price. Who pay full price. So that's but, why we actually do it. Yeah. And, but I noticed that, you know, we were Greek Orthodox for years, but then there was a split between the Arab Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox. And now the Orthodox church, where I grew up with de, uh, defines itself as the Antiochian Orthodox Church. And I think oh, so that was a split, right, from the Greek church? No, so this is actually just a linguist, this is a linguistic cultural um, thing. So Greek is how most Orthodox Christians in the ancient and medieval world defined themselves because the liturgy had come out of Constantinople. Um, in America, this is confusing to people, right? And so a lot of um, like Arab, Russian, the Russians always kind of said Russian Orthodox, but a lot right. of, for example, Arab churches, they're actually under the Bishop of Antioch. They're under the Patriarch of Antioch. And so as they established their own jurisdiction in America, they assumed their own name. Um, so it was more but- just a not a break from the church. The Antiochian Orthodox just wanted to break from the identity. They wanted their own identity. Yeah, because the the church in the diaspora here in America um, also serves as a cultural center. Let's be honest. Right. So they call um, it the Arab church. I go to the people ask me all the time and I go, okay, I don't want to get into all of it. I go to the Arab church. Oh, you don't go go, to the Greek church. church. I go to the Arab church. Right. Yeah, and My friend Katie goes to the Greek church, the Greek church. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, this is this is how um, this is about a cultural thing. Antiochians <laughs> are under the patriarch of Antioch, who is an Arab in in Syria. He's you know, isn't, isn't it more uh, a, a, a Western thing? Right. Is it more of a Western yeah. thing that's happening? I mean, if you're in the Arab world, I know my cousin is the pastor of the Church of the Nativity. And he's Greek Orthodox. He doesn't he doesn't identify as Antiochian Orthodox because the Church of the Nativity is divided among a number of different religions. Yeah, it's divided among you know bishops, right? So when I talked to I said 
earlier, like this idea that, you know, people are under the authority of different bishops. That's how people think of things over in the, the in the old country, as my grandfather right. would say. Right. <laughs> in, um, in America, because we're using our churches also as cultural center, right? I learned Greek in the same room where I was catechized, right? right. So um, because we're using our churches serve as cultural centers as well, um, you see people start to use those names as a way of signaling essentially their cultural identity in the diaspora. So when we talk to other people, uh, Jews um, and Muslims, and, and it's a, it's a, uh, I'm going to call it a sequential evolution. You know, the Jewish community doesn't look forward. They look backwards. The Christian community doesn't look forward. They look backwards. So the Christian community recognizes the same prophets as the Jewish community, basically. Mm -hmm. The Muslim community doesn't look forward. They look backwards also, and they recognize the prophets of the Jewish community and the Christian community. <laughs> um, but when nobody looks forward, you know, the Jews don't look at the Christian or Muslim religion, and say we recognize Jesus. The Christians don't look forward to the Muslim community and say we don't recognize Muhammad. All these complexities now, even with the two different Christian churches, it has to make it hard for um, Americans to identify, you know, that general Christians, even just regular American Christians. My neighbors only know Christianity from the Bible and they don't give it an ethnic identity. You know, they go to church this Sunday and they look at me. And that's why that woman said, how how could you abandon your Christian faith to become an Arab? And I just looked at her like in shock. And I realized that maybe we didn't do a good enough job to explain or maybe it's just too complicated. No, I think so. I think that there is. And this is one of my this is one of my, you know, bugaboos. As um, I think there is a general lack of understanding in America, which has American Christianity is an ethnic form of Christianity. They just don't call it that, right? right? If you right. you go to some mega church, you are practicing an ethnic form of Christianity, right? Um, as much as you and I are, right? Like, let's be let's be clear about that. But I think that there is in America a lack of understanding about the complexities beyond Protestant and Catholic, basically. And you even hear people say, like, "Are you Catholic or are you Christian?" Catholics are Christians. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a, um, and I think there's a real ignorance about Eastern Christianity. Right. Writ large. Um, and one of the things that I think this, the crisis in Russia, in Ukraine is doing right. is it forcing American Christians to learn about the Christian East, or Americans in general to learn about the Christian East. And just like, I think with Islam 20 years ago, they're doing a very bad job of it. Right. right. They're not learning so, it, but it's also the Eastern or the Orthodox churches are in the middle of this crisis. I know that there's a movement to, they want it. Some people want to kick out the Russian Orthodox church because they're sided with Russia. Um, and the majority of the Orthodox, I believe, I mean, I may be wrong, are siding with Ukraine. Um, personally, I don't think you kick a church out. You may not like the leaders of the church and you want to do something with that, but it just seems a little extreme to expel the Russian Orthodox Church from the major national 
and international Orthodox uh, religious organizations? So I, I think the, the thing to think about is I, this, this conflict within Orthodoxy has been going on long before Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, the Christ, I think this is actually something your Muslim listeners can relate to in that there is a conflict in the Orthodox world about how we are going to relate to Western modernity. Right. Right. How do we reconcile our faith that is different and has a different history? And sometimes it's had a very antagonistic relationship with the West. How do we reconcile it to things like human rights, liberal democracy, pluralism, can you be, just like Muslims were asking 20 years ago, and I think probably still asking questions like, you know, can you be a Muslim and believe in pluralism? Right. Can you be a Muslim and believe in democracy, right? Like right. Orthodox Christians are asking those same questions. And roughly speaking, that debate in the Orthodox world has seen the patriarch of Moscow hold up the conservative camp or the sort of anti-modernity camp. Right. And the patriarch of Constantinople head up the pro-modernity camp, broadly and, speaking. And Katie, finally, tell me yeah. uh, your website, if people wanted to follow you um, or to learn more about the National Hellenic Museum in Chicago, where would they go? What's the website? Yeah, go to nationalhellenicmuseum.org. Um, we have all sorts of very cool events. Um, also, Cairo Dye, who is our program manager, and I do um do podcasts we do video presentations um we talk about all sorts of things you can also follow if you're interested in sort of my work on orthodoxy in particular i'm a senior correspondent at religion dispatches and you can go to religiondispatches.org and read um, my work there and then finally um, i'm co-editor at the wheel which is a orthodox christian journal the largest independent orthodox christian journal and we're at thewheeljournal.org. So those are all the hats right. I wear if you if you just cannot get and, enough of Katie today. And I know for Muslims, I always say Ramadan Mubarak or Ramadan Kareem, which is the Arabic word for a great holiday um, phrase. But uh, what do Christians say, Orthodox or non-Orthodox? Do they say something different or is it the same? What do they so in say? The lead up to, in the lead up to Easter, um, we'll either say in Greek, Kalopaska or Kalianastasi which means happy Easter or good resurrection. And then after Easter, and for the, the 40 days after Easter, we say Christos Anesti, Christ yeah. is risen. He is risen. All right, my guest, Catherine Kaledis, resident scholar at the National Hellenic Museum of Chicago, helping us navigate through a very complicated, uh, <laughs> and not religion, but the differences in the different groups in the way they adhere to the religion. Catherine, thank you. It was so much fun. Uh, it was a real pleasure to talk to you today. Anytime. Let me know when you need me. All right. Bye thank bye. you very much. I'm Ray Hanania, and you are listening to the Ray Hanania Show, brought to you by Arab News uh, Newspaper at ArabNews.com. And uh, we're broadcast live on a number of radio stations in Greater Detroit at WNZK AM 690, WDMV AM 700 in Washington, D.C., WTOR AM 770 in Ontario. And we'll be rebroadcast in Chicago uh, on Thursdays at 12 noon on WNWI AM 1080. Uh, you, you can listen to us at, on the U.S. Arab Radio Network at ArabRadio.us. Or you can watch the radio show if you come in late or if you missed it at facebook.com slash Arab News. 
Um, we have all the information that will be posted there and you can watch the video live or in rebroadcast streaming. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with another scholar, Heder El-Yatim, the director of the Evangelical Mission, who is the assistant to the Bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA. Uh, it's an Arab Christian national organization. He's from Bethlehem, Palestine. And we're going to talk a little bit about challenges facing Christian Arabs. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue this discussion here at the Ray Hanania show. We'll be right back right after these messages. Arabnews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at Arabnews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. Arabnews.com, news that matters to you. بعد تطعيم أكثر من ثلاثة بلايين شخص حول العالم بشكل كامل بلقاح كوفيد 19 تمت الآن الموافقة على تلقيح الأطفال من عمر 5 إلى 11 سنة. فقد أثبتت الدراسات بعد تجارب سريرية مع أطفال حول العالم أن جرعتي اللقاح المخصصة لهم آمنة وفعالة. يوصي الأطباء بتلقيح الأطفال من سن الخامسة فما فوق من أجل حماية الأصحاء منهم أو ذوي الظروف الصحية الصعبة. الطفل جزء من المجتمع وهو معرض لأن يصاب بالفيروس ويمكن أن يحمله لعائلته ولمن حوله. احمي طفلك وعائلتك ومجتمعك. لقح طفلك ليكون بأمان في المدرسة أو مع العائلة والأصدقاء وأثناء ممارسة الرياضة تحدث لطبيبك واكتشف الحقائق بنفسك أو زر موقع michigan.gov/kids-covid-vaccine رسالة من وزارة الصحة والخدمات الإنسانية في ميشيغان. Imagine you're on a train track somewhere miles away. A train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming. Slowly but surely, if you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Ziad Brand. Quality products from our family to yours. Ziad Brothers Importing offers the finest quality products, including brands like Sultan, Kraft, Nestle, Hook, Rico Picon, Donna, and many more. Ask your retailer to carry these fine products because you deserve the very best. For more information, visit our website at www.ziad.com. That's www.ziad.com. Ziad, quality products from our family to yours. The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English-language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, 
Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And I want to say Ramadan Mubarak to the Muslim community here in America and across the Arab world, and also a happy Passover to the Jewish community, which starts uh, April 16th. And of course, uh, happy Easter to all the Christians. Uh, Easter is this Sunday, and Orthodox Easter is the following Sunday. In our second segment, we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about uh, all this, but also about the challenges that uh, Arab Christians face. Uh, and I have Reverend uh, Haider El-Yatim, who is the director of, of the Evangelical Mission and assistant to the Bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, a great organization, ELCA. Um, and uh, you're from the, actually from Beit Jala, not Bethlehem, correct, uh, uh, Reverend Haider? Yes, I was born and raised in Bejala, which is on the west side of Bethlehem. Yeah, my uh, cousin there is uh, Father Samur at the uh, Church of the Nativity. When you yes. go there, you got to tell him he's a wonderful person, and I follow him. We were just talking with Catherine Kalaitis, who is the uh, a resident scholar at the National Hellenic Museum in Chicago, about the differences between mainstream uh, Christian uh, Easter and the Orthodox Easter. My parents are Orthodox, um, but when they came to this country, they couldn't find the church that they there was no Orthodox church here in the 1950s. I mean, if there, it was a Greek Orthodox church, it was too far. So they put me in a Lutheran uh, church. So I was raised and confirmed Lutheran. Turned out that there's a big Lutheran community in the Arab uh, Palestinian community in Jerusalem, right? Through that yes. Augustana Victoria, Augusta Victoria Hospital. Hospital. Correct. Uh, yes. And I know many of my relatives came through Augusta Victoria Hospital uh, to like Nick Curry to uh, Chicago and the U.S. through programs that they sponsored. Um, tell us a little bit, first of all, about yourself and the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, because the word evangelical often has a negative connotation, a political connotation. But I know that the ELCA does such a great job. I've, I've worked with them many times over the years. They're great people. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, as you said, my name is Khadr al-Yatim. I was born and raised to a Palestinian Christian family in Palestine in the little town of Bejala on the west side of Bethlehem. In 1992, I was actually brought to the United States uh, by the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America to be a mission developer and to start an Arabic-speaking Lutheran congregation among the growing Arab Christian community in Brooklyn, New York. So I finished my Master of Divinity at the seminary in Philadelphia. Then I went to Brooklyn in 1996, started Salam Arabic Lutheran Church there. Now I serve as the assistant to the bishop and the director for evangelical mission uh, based here in Florida. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America is a denomination which is the largest evangelical Lutheran denomination in the United States. And the reason I love this church because this church stands for peace, justice, inclusion, uh, li liberation theology, uh, 
our commitment and calling to build the bridges and relationship, especially with our brothers and sisters in the Muslim faith and in Jewish faith and other faiths. And that is really what excites me about this church, that we are an open church that is welcoming, embracing, and we are not shy to stand for justice, for peace. We are not shy to take on difficult conversation and difficult uh, issues. For me, as a Palestinian, uh, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America really took a, a, a strong stand. And I would like to direct your uh, listeners to go and visit the elca.org backslash peace, not walls, which is our campaign for the engagement in Palestine and Israel uh, uh, justice movement. But also now we are uh, in Iraq, in Syria, in Lebanon, in Jordan, in Yemen. We're trying to be present in these areas to bring humanitarian um, help uh, because of the disasters that the people are experiencing there. So how, that's how, really what... I was going to say, how bad is the situation? I, it's good and bad, but let's talk about challenges that we face as Christian Arabs. How bad is it for Christian Arabs? How tough is it? Well, for me, uh, I would like to make sure that our community is one. Uh, we are Arab Christians and we are Arab Muslims. Um, actually, according to the statistics, uh, the Arab community in the United States is 60% Christians and 40% are Muslims. So the right. Arab Christians are the majority in the United States. Yeah. Um, uh, and But I would like to focus that we are one community that worship in two different faith traditions uh, of the one God that we love uh, so dearly. Yeah, we're uh, very close. We're very close to the Muslim community. We uh, are. Even though I'm Christian as a, an Arab Christian, I feel Muslim by culture. You know, sometimes oh, so I identify with the Muslim community. It's a beautiful religion, a beautiful people. And, you know, here in the U.S., where uh, different religions are attacked, some more than others. Um, I know that every religion has that small group of extremists and bad people that really don't represent the religion. We have them, too. The Jewish community has it, too. And what I liked about the Lutheran Church when I was raised in the Lutheran Church was that that peaceful, embracing attitude we had. We lived in a Jewish neighborhood. We were not against Jews. We were not happy with the Israeli government. We were not happy right. with the politics of a government. And we continue to fight that. But when it comes to the religious people and the identity, we embrace that. Isn't that a, a lesson and message that gets missed often in today's world? Uh, I just want to go back to say that part of my Palestinian Arab Middle Eastern identity, that yes, my culture is a Muslim culture. I cannot deny that. That's part of my identity and who I am. I am a Christian by faith, but I will say I am Muslim by culture. And uh, uh, just two weeks ago in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, we issued a declaration to the Muslim community. And we went from the time of Martin Luther in the 15th century all the way to today to issue an apology for any harm that our church did to the Muslim community, but to embrace the relationship and the bridges that we have built. Uh, again, uh, I lived in Brooklyn, New York, which is it has the largest Jewish community outside of Israel. I worked with them. We lived peacefully together. We cooperated many different things. I love the Jewish community. I hate the policies of the Israeli government. And right. we need to be careful to make that distinction between the Jewish community and the Israeli government uh, and occupational policies that 
takes away from the freedom of the Palestinian people. Do Americans uh, rec- understand you and us? Do they recognize us? Um, because earlier in the show, I mentioned that, you know, after September 11th, emotions were high. Anger was high. I was giving a speech about how we have to look past stereotypes to identify the extremism as a threat, not stereotypes. And then I had an American woman come up to me and say, I can't believe that you abandoned your your Christian faith to become an Arab. And I'm thinking, wow, I, I must have failed or my people failed to educate this woman to believe what she believed. So, Ray, when I came to this country and I will be invited to speak in Lutheran churches and other churches, and the moment I finish my presentation, the first question will be, when did you convert? Right. Right. Assuming that I was Muslim because I am an Arab. And my answer always was I converted on the day of Pentecost 2000 years ago. Right. (laughs) So so and people in America need to understand that not all Arabs are Muslims and not all Muslims are Arabs. Actually, the majority of Arabs around the world are not Arabs. Uh, But to go back to even in the United States, the. 70% 70% of the Muslim community are non-Arab and only 26% of Muslims in America are Arab. But go ahead. That's absolutely true. But again, uh, the Christian, com- the Arabic Christian community in that state struggle. Uh, you know, many of them came from uh, uh, backgrounds that they thought they would come to America and be embraced. And they are faced with the harsh reality because you come from this background, you are not going to be embraced. You still are labeled. Uh, so so we tr- try to work very hard with our community on education and, and empowerment. More importantly, to get engaged, to, to be part of your child's school, to be part of your local uh, democratic process, be be involved in your community. That's how we can have voice, how we can have power, how we can have representation. When I lived in Brooklyn, New York, uh, I got engaged in politics, even though I was a pastor. I even ran for office. But that was part of empowering my community, both the Christian and Muslims, and to give them uh, legitimacy, legitimacy in, in the political process. Because elected officials came, took our money and took our votes, then they gave us their back to the next election. And we get nothing, really. I mean, yeah. Arabs are not considered a minority. We're not on the census. Um, we're, we're often vilified in every movie. I grew up watching every movie attack us, make us look bad. Christian, Muslim, didn't matter. It was Arab. And now it's, it's, uh, it's still a negative. I hate to, you know, I always use this. It's a four-letter word sometimes in a Mm -hmm. negative way when really it should be a positive way. How bad is it though for us? Is it still bad? Are we the victims of discrimination or have we gotten past that? Uh, You know, I I am a person who lived through the 9-11. I was the pastor in Brooklyn, New York. I have lost so many members of my community who worked either at the World Trade Center or responded to the tragedy of the World uh, Trade Center in 9-11. So I, I had a clashing identity. Uh, I wanted to respond to the community to bring healing and comfort and peace. At the same time, I looked like the people who carried the attack, right. where I was looked at, uh, you are an Arab, right? So, so I needed to reconcile that. And with the only way we can reconcile that is to build a, a relationship and, and to bring everybody together. So I brought the Christians, the Muslims, the Jews, the elected officials, and the police around the table to strategize together and to respond to the tragedy collectively. 
that actually has empowered the community. And when the community see, saw us standing together, they took us as an example. That's why the area of Bay Ridge in Brooklyn, which experienced tremendous amount of loss, we had very minimum of hate crimes because we stood together. We walked together, we prayed together, we committed and we signed resolutions together that no one in our community will be attacked or harassed for the language they speak or the way they look. We need to be proactive and we should not be playing the role of the firefighter only to respond when there is a, a challenge or a tragedy. We need to continue to build the momentum as Arab, not only Christians, Arab Christians and Muslims to stand together, to not allow religious differences to fragment us, but we need, there is so much commonalities that can bring us together and can unite us so we can be the one voice, uh, speak in, in, as a one person to, to make sure our community voice is heard, recognized and celebrated and honored. And that's what it's, I believe. It's still an uphill battle. Uh, it is. for oh, our absolutely. community. It, it's absolutely. still an uphill battle. And, and we sometimes as Christians, it's easier, I think, for a Christian Arab to assimilate and disappear in America. It's harder for Muslims because of the way they dress. They go to a mosque. Americans see them. But a lot of times Americans don't see the Arabs. Are the Arabs losing their voice in America? And I mean, we have a voice. We know we have a voice, but it doesn't seem to be resonating the way it used to 40 years ago. And are we losing our voice in the Arab world? I think, Ray, what gives me hope is watching my four children who are born and raised in this country and the way they embrace their Arab-Palestinian identity. That's what gives me hope. Uh, they don't want to assimilate with this. Um, uh, they, they appreciate this culture, but they celebrate their identity. And I think our young people are uh, more, uh, uh, they have more courage than us to stand for who they are and where their families are coming from. And that's what gives me hope. And I think um, uh, they, they are being more representative of our culture and language uh, and our identity than we are. <laughs> and that's what gives me hope. But I want to tell you, uh, I sat with my daughter who just turned 17, will be graduating from high school this year. And, uh, uh, shukran. and she will be going um, to um, uh, a university, got accepted uh, into their pre-med program, 75% um, uh, scholarship. But when we filled out her application, this isn't the application, if you are an Arab or Middle Eastern, check white. <laughs> Yeah, they, we need to be identified. I think that's our big challenge because right. when you can prevent somebody from being identified, they don't exist. They have no power. Right. When we and are when identified. The, Go ahead. And when the census 2000 was coming up, we worked so hard to make sure that the Arab and the Middle Eastern community is there as a category and it was denied. So, so this country is still does not recognize our presence, does not recognize who we are, but that's a movement. We need to continue to that. When the census 2030 come out, we need to be on that census form. We need I to agree. change that college application to say no Arab and Middle Eastern. Uh, and we don't want to be lump summed into this white, uh, uh, white uh, community that is slowly disappearing in the United States. The whites in America are no longer will be the majority anymore. Right. Actually, will be the Latinos uh, or other minorities that is increasing I, in number. I want us to be identified as Arab. I know a lot of people are arguing for MENA, 
you know, Middle East, and North African. But I want the word Arab there because there's such a movement to stop that identification from every direction. We need to reinforce it and make it happen. Uh, Reverend Hader Yatim is my guest. Reverend Hader, where would people go to get information about all the different things that you do? I, I certainly wish we had a radio show five hours long because there's so much that we could talk to uh, about. But where would they go to follow up to get more information? Well, there are wonderful uh, organizations that they can go to. Uh, I just would like to um, remind you of the, our website, which is the elca.org backslash peace not walls. Uh, that is where people can find a lot of information that is very helpful. But, you know, uh, we have the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee with uh, Samir Khalaf, a fantastic the Arab Phenomenal American organization. Institute. I've been. Oh, uh, I was there at yeah. the founding meeting in Chicago when uh, they launched it. <laughs> Thank you, know, you with, for uh, that. All, it's oh yeah, no, now, but it, it's been a great, uh, stressful time because I'm considered too moderate. Some groups in our community don't like me, you know, for whatever reason. So it's been a battle. But you're right. ADC is a phenomenal organization. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it's interesting in my work, I come across a lot of people, especially in the Midwest and other areas that they never came in a contact with an Arab or a Muslim person. So right. I want to encourage your listeners who never had the chance to encounter an Arab or a Muslim person, just go and say hi, know this community. This is a community that is known for their love, for their hospitality, for their welcome and embracing our friends. And, and I just want people to experience that generosity that we bring to this country. And don't make it about politics. Just go up and be friends. Right. Let them identify with you. Reverend Hader El-Yatim is the director of the Evangelical Mission and assistant to the Bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, ELCA. Uh, a great guest. I have to have you back on again. Thank you so much, Reverend Hader, for Inshallah. joining us. Inshallah. All right, we will talk you later. Right. You're welcome. Blessings. All right, bye-bye. Merry, uh, happy Easter. Happy Easter, yes. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. And now we're going to uh, welcome uh, our next guest, Chef Tarek. Uh, Chef Tarek Nasser, let's get him to turn on his, there he is. Hey, right. Chef Tarek, how are you? Thank you for uh, taking the time to join us. Let's oh, cut right. You. Let's cut right to the chase. Uh, first of all, your website is Chef Tarek, T-A-R-I-Q.com. Chef right. If you want to follow up on this, but tell us what are some of the big uh, recipes that Arabs uh, uh, enjoy at Easter? Well, it's um, I think the only recipe that probably is um, something most families do is probably the mamoul, which is the um, the um, sweets at, at Easter time. And My mom are... used to have a little wooden thing. <coughs> yeah, exactly. And you, she'd you... make the mamoul in it and it had ridges in it and they'd press it. It would have sugared nuts in the center, I think. And it was yeah, kind so... of like a half moon. You yeah, know, some shape. of them. Yeah, they have the different shapes. So the ones with nuts are that half moon shape. And then the rounder ones um, usually have a date filling. And they have that you just um, put them in the mold and then bang them. Um, the kids used to call them banger cookies because they would bang it on right. the table and they would drop out. And then you you bake she'd it, slam it. And she'd do it like maybe 50 to 100 times because yeah. Arabs never eat in two or three people. My mom no. would cook stuffed grape leaves for a hundred people. <laughs> we would go to a drive-in movie 
And she'd bring yeah. a giant pot of stuffed grape leaves and lamb and hand out plates to people around us who were saying, wow, that smells good. What is that? Oh, yeah. it's little stuffed grape leaves. Well, go, I go know. And it's a, it, it takes it takes a long time to make. So, you know, that a person is is passionate about food and passionate about who they're feeding when they feed them grape leaves, because it takes a long time to roll them all. It does if you do 90. It takes about an hour to do that. Why is food so central to the Arab cultural identity, do you think? I think it's because it brings everybody together. You know, um, when I was a kid, my we the whole family would go over to my grandmother's house and everybody would be there, all her kids and then all her kids' kids. And we'd all sit around the table and, you know, everybody passing food back and forth. And it's just, it's a time where everybody can get together and sit with each other. And Arabs, as you know, are very social and, and just love other people. And um, so any, I think any excuse to, to get together and food is just a great way for people to, to come together. I, I watch my mother make uh, stuffed grape leaves, stuffed squash, stuffed green peppers, stuffed potatoes, uh, right. roast the lamb. I know how to do that. And even though I ended up, I was going to be a doctor, but I ended up in journalism. I always wanted to be a chef. How did you manage to be a chef? Because I love to cook men in the Arab culture love to cook don't they they do you... they do they do indeed well you know there's always the pressure in an arab family to be the doctor be a lawyer um uh, an engineer something like that so it took took a while for me to be able to i mean i had to get a degree in business as well um in order to have something that seemed like you know it would it would earn money but in the long run i mean i've always been fascinated with food and i learned to cook from my, you know, my grandmother and from my mother and my father as well. My father's actually a very good cook. Um, and um, so just the fascination with food and, and Arab food is so, I don't know, it's, it's delicious. It's my comfort food, even though I've grown up partly in the States, um, I still, the food I go for is, you know, the, the, the rolled grape leaves or the sakhan or, or something, you know, that's that's just has an Arab flavor to it. What what do Arab Christians eat? And by the way, what what is your background? What? Uh... So my dad's Palestinian um, from outside Jerusalem. My mother's from Michigan. So um, I was born in the States. But when I was 11 months old, we moved to Jerusalem. And then uh, we were in the 67 war and then moved to Jordan. And um, and I kind of grew up there through high school and then went to the UK for university. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it depends. I mean, a lot of times it's a big feast and it depends where you, where you're living. So, I mean, in Palestine, for example, msakhan is something that's a very Palestinian dish. Oh, yeah. And so that would be one of the dishes that you'd have on the table for sure. Um, if some families will do like a bala, which is the stuffed, so the ribs of the, of the lamb, you kind of cut a pocket and then you stuff it, of course, with rice and meat. Um, some families will do malfouf, which is the rolled grape leaf, um, cabbage leaves. Um, but it's usually a, a variation of things. Leban immo is a very um, popular one where you cook the lamb in yogurt, basically. Do each of the Arab uh, cultures have something different? Because I know the Lebanese, um, I love the uh, steak tartare that they make, the uh, kibinaya. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite meal. And my mom it's would delicious. make it. And the tabbouleh would be made differently, correct? 
in the yeah. different Arab cultures? Yeah. And I mean, all the different countries have their own, um, you know, so say Jordan, for example, the celebratory dish there would be something like mensef, which is, you know, the, the dried yogurt and it's rehydrated and cooked with rice and lamb and uh, out in the delicious. desert under the tent with the bedrooms, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, each place kind of has its own way of making, you know, you have the little variations. Um, it's not only the Arab countries, but a lot of the Mediterranean countries, you know, so if you go to Greece or Turkey or you see a lot of the same things, just, you know, everybody moving back and forth across borders and stuff, the food is similar, um, but a little bit different from, from country to country. And, and usually it's like you're familiar with the way, you know, your mom makes it or whatever. And so that's the one that, that works for you. Mamul, I think, is the common denominator, though, I think. But Mamul, Especially around Easter. Easter. Yeah. Is, uh, there, is it different around Christmas? Around Christmas, usually you get the burbara, which is the kind of green wheat, um, like a pudding. It's made with wheat, and, and uh, it's quite delicious. Uh, so you might have the basic meats, uh, the lamb, the stuffings, and then you'd have these different mamul or burbara. Yeah, different, different desserts generally. But I mean, again, it's sort of, it comes down to what does your family love to eat? And then everybody, you know, they, they sit around the table and it's like, well, we'll all have our, our, um, for example, like we do in, in Palestine or our mensaf or, um, or just have a big meze of all kinds of different things. You know, that's just comes down to a different families, basically. Now I know we only have a couple minutes left, but when uh, and I know Americans love our food, um, yes. I, I, they love falafel. They love the vegetarian aspects of our food. They love the yeah. hummus. Um, they do that. You know, I remember I invited my, my mom and told me, Ray, invite your friends over for a dinner. I invited them. They had stuffed grape leaves. When my friend went back to his house, his mother said, what did you eat? And and he said the best tasting dog duties I've ever had in my life. So it was a very humorous, but just beautiful experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a wonderful thing because in, in the West, oftentimes people feel a little bit like, you know, why do you keep offering us food? Why do you keep, right. you know, but it's that wonderful thing. It's like you want to share this with other people. And I, I mean, I love it. I love to be able to talk about food and make food for people. And all my neighbors are always, you know, wondering, like, why do you keep offering us food all the time? But it's, it's a wonderful thing. If I were going to do a book about my recipes, it would be called eat comma eat with several explanations. So uh, my guest, Chef Tarek, Tarek Nasser, um, he, his website is Chef Tarek, T-A-R-I-Q.com. Can they go there and get recipes? Yeah, absolutely. I have uh, recipes being updated there all the time. It's a great resource for um, all kinds of Middle Eastern Arab type foods. So yeah, I would encourage people to go. I'm going to go there and I encourage all our listeners to go there to cheftarik.com. Again, that's T-A-R-I-Q, cheftarik.com. Get some recipes. Enjoy the original food that the people in Bethlehem ate. Listen, Chef Tarek, thank you so much for joining us. And I want to tell everybody, thank you for listening and watching us. I'm Ray Hanania. Go to arabnews.com slash I'm sorry, facebook.com slash Arab News to watch this video. We will talk to you next week, Wednesday. Have a great week. Happy Easter, Ramadan Mubarak, and happy Passover. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
WNZK has available a few good hours of airtime for a few good programs to serve.